Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products and services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to make your next move a reality. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CanadaLand to get 10% off of your first purchase, plus a free domain. The problem with hating conservatives is that when you do so, always, religiously, you play yourself. Liberal governments can do what they want. You are just never going to vote conservative. And they know that. Maybe if they shit the bed completely, just screw you over so fully, tank the economy, cover themselves in scandal, and like do it three or four times, maybe they'll finally get ousted. And not because you switch sides, that's never going to happen, but probably you just got so grossed out that you didn't bother to show up and vote, and the other side did. The Liberal Party of Canada considers itself the natural ruling party of this country. That is a phrase that people throw around casually, 
natural ruling party. And it scares the hell out of me. Personally, I want to have a non-crazy, electable conservative leader, like under glass that I can break in case of emergency. Viable NDP candidate would be nice too, but you know, I'm trying to root this discussion in reality. So look, I realize that I'm in dangerous territory here. Journalists get panic attacks about revealing who they vote for. Whatever. I'm happy to tell you that I have in various races, municipal, provincial, federal, I have voted NDP, liberal, conservative, block, even libertarian just once because I had the rare opportunity to vote for masturbating cartoonist Chester Brown. And that seemed like a novelty too good to pass up. But anyhow, I'm digressing. The point is that we are basically all fucked and for practical purposes, no longer live in a democracy if the next leader of the federal conservative party is so revolting that no moral person could ever vote for them. Anyhow, Conservative Party leadership candidate Michael Chong joins me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Dave Granth, Scott Garlick, Christina Hopkins Crichton, Michelle Tribe, Milsa Tsang, Christopher Redmond, Adam Fraser, and David Bone. David, why did you decide to be awesome? It's because you guys are ringing the alarm bell about the growing prominence and hateful rhetoric of the rebel, while most media outlets aren't paying enough attention. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Today's episode also comes to you from Squarespace, who can help you create an eye-catching online platform that brings your idea to life. Squarespace gives you everything you need to look like an expert right from the start. You even get a unique domain, which strengthens your brand, makes it easier for visitors to find you. Plus, Squarespace's award-winning templates 
make creating a beautiful website very simple and intuitive. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse. There is nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. It plugs into any e-commerce tool you can imagine. 24-7 support. All of their support people are in-house. So make your next move. Start your free trial at squarespace.com today. Enter the offer code CANADALAND. You'll get 10% off of your first purchase along with a free domain. Again, that is offer code CANADALAND. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks, the first company to ever sponsor this show. Canadian company FreshBooks, small business accounting software that makes billing painless. Guys, it is a fantastic tool. It is the tool for small businesses that need cloud accounting. Over 5 million small businesses and freelancers use FreshBooks because it is the best solution out there. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the thing that you love. FreshBooks makes it easy to automate time-consuming tasks like organizing expenses, tracking your time, following up with clients. You can do it all with just a few clicks. It connects with Stripe, Shopify, Google Suite, and dozens of others. And this time of the year, tax time, is when I feel most fortunate that I have been using FreshBooks. It makes taxes a breeze. I use it both ways. You could use FreshBooks reporting to do your own tax returns, or for your business, if you work with an accountant, it'll pump out the data in a machine-readable format that is compatible with everything your accountant uses. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Have a look for yourself. When you do decide to become a customer, you can try it out for free for 30 days, no credit card required. When you become a customer, tell them that CanadaLand sent you. You'll be doing the show a favor. I'm trying to figure out Canadian conservatism at this moment. Good question. Yeah. It's at a crossroads. That's the word that we hear. What does it mean? I'll tell you a story and I'm, you know, looking at this, like, I think this is probably a cliche filled narrative and, and, and you'll tell me if it jibes and if so, where we go from here. So my understanding is, is that uh, Stephen Harper was able to effectively sell the country on a form of conservatism that previously, you know, to consolidate that much power, to have majority governments, it was this erecting this big tent. We hear that term a lot, muzzling the crazier people on the social conservative side of things. I think revolutionizing the game in including a lot of new Canadians and people from uh, immigrant communities and uh, people who have small C conservative leanings and building this kind of weirdo coalition that was based on any number of concerns, not least of which was a people were fed up with what came beforehand and that it was a rejection of, of what preceded. So that is my working understanding for what conservatism was under your old boss, Stephen Harper. And my understanding continues that that was blown to smithereens in the last election and that all of those various people under that tent were sort of thrown to the wind. The muzzles are off the crazies. And a lot of those new Canadians were really, really swept up in Trudeau mania. And so what's left? Where are you going to go? That seems to be the big question. Right. And, and I guess the looming threat here is, are we just going to follow, as we so often do, this populist current drafting up from America and from Brexit and from yeah. all over the world? Right. So I agree with the first part of your premise, which is that Stephen Harper built a big tent coalition, which was very disciplined. The second part, I'm not sure I disagree with. I think that I don't think the coalition was blown to smithereens. I think the choice facing us today is do we continue in the best of the conservative tradition of Stephen Harper and Brian Mulroney and and John Diefenbaker and say we're not going to play to destructive 
tendencies, destructive populist tendencies against immigrants and against, uh, you know, other people in our society? Or are we going to play a constructive role? That's really the question facing the party. Inciting Harper, I assume you're inciting early Harper, not not agreed. Set aside the 2015 election where clearly mistakes were made. Right. You know, whether it was the barbaric cultural practices tip line or, you know, those sorts of things which clearly played to anti immigrant fear and sentiment. Set aside that. I think if you look at his record over the nine years, ten years he was in government, he always played a constructive role when it came to reaching out to immigrant communities. Which, would, when it came to including uh, new Canadians in our coalition, I think in the last election we we blew that clearly. So the party's at a crossroads, and the crossroads is: do we play to fear and to hate, or do we play a constructive role in the very real concerns of people who are concerned not just about the economy but also about immigration and refugees? Okay, so that's where I want to focus this, because if you remove the boogeyman stuff, which I think like why you're here is it's an opportunity to look at conservatism minus the xenophobia. You have denounced the demagoguery. I think you were pointing towards Trump. You've denounced uh, xenophobia. You support M103. When we talk about other things that, I mean, there's a lot of people who listen to the show, but there are a lot of people who lean left who listen to the show. And one thing that conservatism is very associated with and Stephen Harper is, is climate change denial. Mm-hmm. And and that's got to change. Right. So you're clear on that. We're doing that. You're for a carbon tax. It got you booed. You're pro-choice. So we remove all of these social conservatism and just sort of things I think people equate with just absolute madness. What's left? Like, what is the pitch of Canadian conservatism when we remove all of that nasty stuff that a lot of people won't even get near? The pitch of Canadian conservatism is more opportunity for everyone, greater opportunity for all Canadians, which is a very different pitch than the current government. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I mean, maybe you've got a different way of achieving that, but that's kind of the same noise that Middle class, middle class values. I don't know. Is there, I think- uh, well, I think the current government's embarked on an expansionist state and embarked on a, an expansionist view of the state. They put a heavier emphasis on equality of condition. I believe in quality of opportunity. I believe in limited government. I believe that we have to give people more autonomy in our society. We've got to get government out of the way of people and companies and allow the real ambition and talent of this country to be unleashed. We are still heavily a a status society where the government often stands in the way of that ambition. Small government, less interference, some libertarian values in an economic sense. The thing is, is that so much of that message has been hijacked. Like you, you could make a very strong case for why are we falling so far behind on innovation and we need to, uh, you know, make this a less bureaucratic country and that's going to kickstart innovation. But Trudeau's sort of stolen that. He's renamed the Ministry of Industry, the Ministry of Innovation. He's got all these programs, more government in that space to stimulate it. And now you're splitting hairs with people about what's going to kickstart a more innovative economy, more interference or less. Not at all. This government doesn't have any big ideas on the economy. It doesn't have any big ideas on democracy. And and it's got the wrong ideas on our environment. Let me give you an example. What is the big economic idea that they've come forward with in the last 18 months that they've been government? Nothing. Brian Mulroney had free trade and tax reform and the GST. Brian Mulroney introduced that within two or three years. Mm -hmm. Those are big ideas. Pierre Trudeau Sr., he came forward with constitutional reforms, big ideas to move this country forward. 
what has the current government proposed in the way of the economy, in the way of the environment, or in the way of our democracy that are big ideas? There are none. There's lots of consultations going on. There's lots of little measures they're taking, but there's nothing fundamentally ambitious about the agenda that they've put forward. On the on democracy, they've completely abandoned their commitment to electoral reform. I'm proposing sweeping reforms to the House of Commons, to the Senate, and to political parties. I'll tell you one thing. If I become party leader and prime minister, my government will introduce the most sweeping set of democratic reforms this country has seen. We are going to reform the House of Commons, we're going to reform the Senate, and we're going to reform political parties to make them a lot more accountable to ordinary people and ordinary grassroots party members. Okay, without getting too lost in any kind of counter argument to that, is that, is that it? Is that Canadian conservatism 2017, uh, essentially smaller governments, uh, electoral reform, re- reform of, of, of the institutions themselves? No, it, it, conservatism in 2018 is about a belief in free markets, a belief in individual liberty, and a belief in creating more opportunity for everyone through those principles. I think we have to believe as conservatives in these principles. They are the principles that have underpinned modern Western democracies for the last 40 years. In recent years, those principles have come under attack. I think we need to rearticulate those principles and come forward with policies based on those principles. Those principles have lifted millions out of poverty. Those principles have created the most prosperous societies in the history of humanity. Those principles have created opportunity for so many people. We need to continue to have faith in those principles. We need to rearticulate them and come forward with policies on them. So that's really what conservatism is all about. And that's what's under threat, not just in this leadership race, but more generally across the West. That is what you are asserting conservatism is about and what you want it to be and what you are the standard bearer for. There are others who are asserting a very different conservatism, and right now they're beating you. And what I want to know is, I've I've opened this up to our listeners to to send in uh, questions as well. And what Paul Miazga asks is, what do you think of the virtual media blackout on your campaign and how do you intend to deal with it? I mean, that's an overstatement. It has been a media blackout, but we can look at Google Trends and we can look at the pops in Kelly Leach's name as soon as she associates herself with Trump, the pop in O'Leary's name based on his own celebrity and association with Trump. And, and we can see that they are getting a lot more press than you. This is a media show. They they obviously are gaming the media in mm-hmm. ways that are very effective. What what do you say to that question and people who would define conservatism in a very different way and are, and are getting a lot of attention for it? Well, I'd say it is what it is. I mean, I don't control the media and I don't think I should control the media and I don't think government should control the media. So at the end of the day, I do my level best to get our message about what we believe conservatism is and where the party should go. But it's not up to me to determine the you know, the, the amount of coverage I get. It's up to the free press to do that. And, you know, the other thing I'd say is that the, you know, to suggest that we're not in this race is is not true. The polls are no indication of where we are in this race. This is an incredibly complicated voting system that we're about to embark on. It's a preferential ballot, and it's a preferential ballot where the final decision could be made as few by as few as several hundred party members. Well, that's really interesting. And I think a lot of people have noticed that. And a lot of people who are afraid of a conservative party led by Kevin O'Leary or Kelly Leach have 
decided to, depending on your point of view, assert themselves in this democracy of ours or game the system or hack the system or, or depending on your point of view, defraud the system. Um, or maybe what they're doing is totally legitimate. But what they're doing, as you are aware, is there, there is an, a, a campaign underway for non-conservative party members, people who probably would never vote conservative in a general election, to join the conservative party so that they could vote for probably you. What do you make of that? Do you want their votes? Do you accept that this is happening? Yeah, I, I want their votes. I mean, we've got a perverse view of political parties and candidates. One of the reasons why I'm in this leadership race, political parties are closed clubs still in this country and they need to be opened up. We have this weird perverse idea that when people join a political party, they're swamping it. Or when people join a local riding association to vote in a party nomination, that they're swamping it. My view of a political party is that the more people that join, the better. We want to build much broader parties. Our parties operate like these private closed cliques. And that's not right in the 21st century. Political parties are public institutions. They are entirely publicly funded through tax credits and other subsidies. They are essential gatekeepers to our system in practical terms. If you want to become a member of parliament, you first have to become a party candidate. Mm -hmm. And if you want to become prime minister or leader of the opposition, you first have to become a party leader. So if the process by which you become a, a party candidate or a leader of a party is a private closed process, we've effectively semi-privatized a portion of our political system. So my view is that that's, that's wrong and parties need to be opened up. I believe parties should be mandated to offer free membership. I think we should go to permanent registration of party membership, where you don't need to rejoin a party every year. You become a member of a party, you're permanently a member of a party. If you want to deregister your vote, you can always do that because you may not agree with the direction of the party. If you have a change of address, you can give notice of change of address. But those permanent party membership lists would then create parties made up of millions of Canadians. You know, in the last election, over 5 million Canadians voted for the Conservative Party. There's no reason why, with open party memberships, the Conservatives couldn't have a million members. And those members, in turn, should be making decisions about party candidates and party leaders. I'm not sure you've directly you know, dealt with the, the problem that some people perceive here, which is that what if people are joining a party only to essentially... Uh, sabotage it. Maybe they want to keep a dangerous candidate from the top of the uh, of the ticket, but maybe they want to put a candidate at the top of the ticket who can't win. Maybe they want to cripple a party that way. You don't see any problem with that. No, I do see a problem with that. I don't think people should be joining a party to sabotage it. But I do think the fact that people are doing that speaks to the fact that parties have shrunk and they're vulnerable to that kind of behavior. I do think, however, that People should be joining a party because they believe in what a particular candidate is putting forward. For example, a lot of Green voters, people voted for the Green Party, have told me that they're joining the Conservative Party to vote for me. And I welcome that because, frankly, they used to be part of the Conservative Party. A lot of Green Party voters used to be federal conservatives who believed in Brian Mulroney's Green Agenda, who believed in the government's action on at Rio, who believed in the government's acid rain treaty. They left the party in the 1990s and 2000s because they felt we weren't environmentally minded enough. We need to bring those people back into the party. And my campaign's about exactly that. It's about building a much bigger party 
That includes conservatives who are concerned about environmental issues, conservatives who want to reclaim the democratic reform mantle, and conservatives who are fiscal conservatives. Seems to me you're playing out of a playbook of possible votes include anyone who has in the past been willing to identify as conservative. There's a new game right now where, you know, we, we talk about how slim these margins are and how few people and, and, and how exclusive the party system is and how many people don't vote at all. Therein lies the chaos factor that is overtaking the world. We are seeing people who are playing from a, a totally new playbook where we're, they're enfranchising a lot of people who are not in the system at all. That can go either way. Some people think that's a wonderful thing. You get young people in and there's a movement that I think brought Obama into power in the United States. But of course, there's another side to it as well. The question that Bruce Arthur asks is, what is your opinion of the rebels, Ezra Levant's the rebels seeming influence on the race? We see Chris Alexander and Kelly Leach cozying up to the rebel. We see Maxime Bernier uh, repeating Reddit memes about the red pill. Of course, Kevin O'Leary just in his very existence is absorbing a lot of that momentum. So there is a radicalization and a, a very popular, the people leading O'Leary and, and, and Leach and, and Bernier are taking this American style populist alt-right stuff and selling it to Canadians and they are selling it big. Well, I don't agree with it. That's why I've spoken out very strongly against it. The Conservative Party is at a crossroads, and this is really a battle for the soul of the Conservative Party. We have a choice. Uh, We can choose to play to anti-immigrant sentiment. We can choose to play to fear, or we can be constructive, and we can propose solutions to people's real concerns about the economy, about immigration, in a way that isn't playing to anti-immigrant sentiment. And I've chosen the latter path. I think that's the path. Not It's not only the right thing to do. It's the path to victory in 2019. If we become the party of anti-immigrant sentiment, we are not going to win the 2019 election. But you standing at the crossroads, you've been asked, would you be a cabinet member for a Kelly Leach conservative uh, government? You said you would. So how mutable are your ethics on this? If, if- well, look, I've I my, my principles and policies are not going to change. If I feel that the current government, uh, the the government that I'm serving in isn't doing the right thing, I will make my views known on that. And my record demonstrates that. Just because somebody becomes party leader doesn't mean I change my position on things. I continue to fight for the things that I believe in. If I'm in caucus, my view is I don't work for the leader. The leader works for caucus. The leader is accountable to caucus. And so I will continue to fight for those things I believe in. If I'm in cabinet, I will serve in cabinet and serve my country. But if the prime minister makes a decision that I don't agree with, my record demonstrates and I'm prepared to stand up and be heard. Can you walk that line, really? I mean, a lot of this is f- familiar territory. We we, heard, we saw this play out in the States where this radical fringe and the Breitbart alt-right swallowed the Republican Party whole. And, you know, uh, uh, Republican by Republican, they were put to this decision of, like, this is completely inimical to many of your values, but this chance of power here. Are you going to get in line or are you going to stray from your own party? And one by one, we saw those Republicans get in line. And you're, 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 well, you're vowing now to get in line, contrary no, to a lot of the principles that no. you're running on. A lot of Republicans are pushing back. Republicans like Senator John McCain, Republicans like Senator Lindsey Graham are standing up and pushing back. Uh, so I see my role in that vein if the leadership of the party makes decisions that run contrary to conservative values and principles, the values and principles that I've articulated in this leadership race. The the, the battle for the soul of the Conservative Party is is of interest to the Conservative Party and Conservatives of Canada. The, the battle for leadership of Canada and whether or not Canada is going to you know swallow the red pill is, I think, of greater concern to, to the wider population here. That's, I think, what a, a lot of people are contending with and, and trying to see if this establishment, uh, Canadian Conservative Party, uh, where, where are they going to stand? So I just want to know, like... The lines are getting drawn and people are on like, are, are we fighting this trend or are we or are we going to somehow make make peace with it? 
Uh, I mean, you're here. I think you just took a little bit of heat in the press for talking to another internet so-called journalist on the uh, on the right side of things who button hooked you uh, at some event and you answered some questions and took a little bit of uh, heat for that. But you know, you're, you're you're here knowing who I am. We are in a very different media space. The rebel is surging based on the Breitbart playbook. I want to talk a little bit about where you stand on free speech issues in general, but what do you make of this very chaotic information space that we now find ourselves in, totally unprecedented in Canada? Well, I think entrepreneurs like you are actually taking advantage of it and doing very well. I think, you know, it's the younger generation that gets that the digital landscape is changing everything and taking advantage of that. And I think that's the path of the future. We need entrepreneurs to get out there and take advantage of the ubiquity of the internet, of of the democracy of the internet to to deliver news in a new way. You know, with with what happened in you know, with me speaking to um, that fellow I did in in um, Burlington, I wouldn't have taken that interview had it been a formal request and we'd known what his views were all about. But with you, I'm very comfortable taking the interview with you because I think you're a, a solid journalist that actually breaks stories that a lot of uh, the media don't pay attention to. So. What do I believe about free speech? I've actually a very I believe in a very expansionist view of free speech. As a conservative, I believe that free speech is the foundation of a democracy and that there are too many restrictions on free speech in our democracy. That's the reason why I'm in favor of repealing section 319 of the criminal code, which are the hate speech provisions. Mm-hmm. I think the right way to counter hate speech is not through the clumsy tool of the criminal code, but rather through free speech. I don't think that sections, other sections of the criminal code, like the sections against blasphemy of religion should remain in place. I think those also should be repealed. I think this is an interesting distinction for people. We've been talking a lot about M103. People who are against M103 feel that that motion endangers their ability to say awful things about Islam. You have said, no, there's tons of things we've done through motions to decry anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and all sorts of things. There's no problem with the motion. But when it comes to the hate speech laws, you don't want them. You're speaking to somebody who basically has felt very similarly. I've been more or less a free speech absolutist and I rely on uh, my ability to express myself for to make a living. And I've always agreed, I've, I think I've used the same phrase, that the answer to bad speech is more speech, is good speech. I'm having my faith challenged. I believe that we could point to a lot of circumstances where that played out. When we had a, a, a more traditional media space and we had uh, establishment voices, the system could withstand virulent racists in the fringe and we can make decisions to ignore them and not give them platforms or if they found a way to have themselves heard we could counter that with with ration and reason we're seeing something very different happen right now and i'm not sure where i stand anymore it is no longer as easy to say that okay good speech counters bad speech bad speech lies hate complete misinformation a lot of that's winning. A lot of that is, you know, 10 of those will get out the door before you can fact check one of them. And it's having consequences. And I think that the mosque shooting in, in Quebec, where the talk radio scene is virulently anti-Muslim, we can draw a direct line between hate speech and death. You know, this is like an open conversation where I'm not really trying to make a point because I, I, I'll, I'll put myself out of business if I keep going in this direction, you know? Let me push back on your concerns about repealing sections of the criminal code like 319. First, it's almost never used. It's almost never been used. Mm-hmm. So as a tool, it's not that effective. And secondly, we are at risk of driving these debates underground. I think the rise of media like 
Breitbart News, of other alternative forms of media, is in response to a sense amongst many ordinary people that they finally have are being given a voice, that up to this point they haven't had a voice, and they haven't had a voice because they're not allowed to say certain things, in part because of potential criminal charges, in part because of other restrictions. And so by repealing Section 319, we remove that risk of driving that debate underground. We bring it up into the light of day where it can be sanitized through vigorous debate and vigorous free speech. And the final thing I'd say is that the mosque shooting that took place where 25 people were shot, six dead, 19 injured, that took place with a system where we have criminal code prohibitions on free speech. Right. So clearly the criminal code isn't working to prevent that kind of action from taking place. So my view is that the system doesn't work. It's rarely used. And furthermore, it's exacerbating the problem by driving these debates underground, by by forcing these debates underground where they cannot be challenged in public, where they cannot be challenged and sanitized by free debate and free speech. I'm not sure they've been driven underground, but I think that they have been handed the weapon of the underdog status. They can say that, and they say it a lot, this is rebel speech. This is forbidden speech. This is what they don't want us to say. And they've got some reason to say that because of these criminal code prohibitions. So let's remove that stigma uh, from having public debate. Let's remove that stigma that ordinary people feel that they can't express their concerns about terrorism, about religion, about the intersection of terrorism and religion. Let's remove those restrictions to make it clear that in a free society, people can have these debates. And where those debates and that speech crosses into hate, that the solution isn't the course of power of the state, the intrusive power of the state. It's for good people, good citizens to stand up and denounce that hate speech through free speech. This is something I've argued many times and, you know, tra-la-la, everything will be well and good when it's not that you're going to be a criminal if you say these hateful things. It's that you will be denounced, you will be argued against, you will be proven wrong factually. And it's not that you're a rebel, it's that you're a dickhead and, and that we reinstate some sense of just social norms of humanistic behavior and just ration and reason and two plus two equals four. Would that it were so, I guess I'm just, uh, I, I, maybe in the long run, the facts will bear out. I think in day-to-day practice, we're being, we're being rattled, you know? Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that the hate speech provisions in the criminal code haven't always been there. These are a fairly recent phenomenon of the criminal code. The criminal code was created in Canada, I think, in 1892. For most of our history, there were no hate speech provisions in the criminal code. The, these hate speech provisions came in in the 1970s. They're a fairly recent phenomenon. I think There may have been reason to have them in the criminal code in the 1970s, but whatever reasons we had back then, I think those reasons are gone. The fact of the matter is that a lot of ordinary people feel that they are unable to publicly voice very real concerns and fears about terrorism, about religion, about the intersection of the two. And I think that is creating incentive for this rise in angst amongst uh, Canadians. And I think we have to remove those prohibitions in order to make it clear that you're free to express your concerns, that it's all right to express your concerns. And where those concerns cross from concern to hate, they will be denounced through free speech. I feel like coming back to our opening gambit here of how we're going to, of how you might 
inspire Canadians of uh, some new vision or some, you know, more correct vision of what Canadian conservatism should be, removing these dangers that people find or, or these, these boogeymen that people associate with conservatism, largely because they exist and there's plenty of people to tell them that that, that is what conservatism is. What you're left with is a message that based on my meager understanding of Canadian political history, it's not a very inspiring message unto itself. It has been most effective when it's the antidote, right? When people are grossed out by the excesses of a liberal government, by scandals, by spending, by problems with the economy. It's, it's when they're rejecting a different government that this sober, sensible, conservative message can win over people, and you need to win over people who are not hardcore uh, in order to get power. And uh, part of that formula has always been tamping down the social conservative part of it. So it's not an inspirational message. It's sort of like a, it, you know, it's a solve. It's a medication. And when you're countering an opponent like Justin Trudeau, and we're in, in the midst of just, uh, I think we're still, uh, it's slipping a bit, but we'll see what happens when there's another election. Brand Canada is is thriving. He's going to wrap himself up in the 150th. It's very pretty. All of this is still raging and I can understand an obnoxious, obstreperous O'Leary countering that very effectively. If I was just trying to get you guys in power, which I am not, but if I were, I'd say, okay, a guy like that can make a lot of noise. You you kind of wash your hands of the media game. Hey, it's not my job what the media does. I think O'Leary makes it his business to game the media and to get that press. And I think he can, he can do that. He can get in there, at least as an opposition leader, he could, he could definitely make himself a real thorn in the side of Trudeau. This, sober, rational antidote is not as explosive. It's not as sexy. It's not going to get the same press. And I, and I, and I, I, in general, I think you're right. Yeah. With one exception. And that is if the economy turns South, which it looks like it's, it is doing that trumps everything else. Pocketbook issues trump everything else. If, if people in the 2019 election are hurting, if the job market is still terrible, if economic growth is stalled or faltering, that is going to overtake everything else in that election. And that's where a leader like me comes forward with a plan to get the economy moving, to create jobs and to put more money back in people's pockets. That will have huge resonance. And that's what will win us the 2019 election. Look, we are we are in a period in our history where we are facing huge economic headwinds. We're going to have another recession. I don't know when, but sometime in the next five years, we're going to have a recession. We haven't, we're now in year eight of an expansion. This summer will be the eighth year of our expansion. We'll enter year nine. We're not going to go another five years without a recession. We've never had that kind of longevity to an expansion. So we're going to have another recession. It will be one of the worst recessions we have ever seen. Why? We have lost the only tool in the toolbox that we normally have to counteract a recession, which is to cut the central bank rate. We can't cut the central bank rate. It's effectively zero. So the only plan we can then put in place are plans to fiscally stimulate the economy. The current government has the wrong plan when it comes to fiscally stimulating the economy to create jobs. The right plan is deep income tax cuts that are going to put more money back in people's pockets and really jumpstart this economy. That message is going to be powerful in the 2019 election. 
<laughs> I asked you about inspirational messages, and you tell us we're going to have a horrible recession. It's your stump speech. It's uh, well, no, I'm just I'm no, like, I hear that, you. That's not the message. You, you, you totally made sense. You yeah. could win if we all lose. Like if Canada's no, th- we, that that is a circumstance where I could see this message working. For no, sure. well, that's where we're headed. We're going to have another recession at some point, and we need a proper response to recession to create jobs. Mm-hmm. And the current government doesn't have the plan. They're spending money like crazy, and the economy's still flatlining. Their plan isn't working. So. We have a plan that will work, and that plan starts with deep income tax cuts to get the economy moving and to create jobs. Here's one from Ben Tippett. You, you are the favorite conservative of liberals here. Uh, the question is, why are you so great? Do you need help on your quest to find the magical sword of virtuous light? <laughs> I don't know if he's a liberal. I don't know. Look, I, you know, it, people often make that typecast to me, but if you actually look at what I stand for, it's deeply conservative. I believe in a much more expansionist view of free speech than most conservatives. Why? Because I'm deeply conservative. I believe states shouldn't have the power to restrict free speech like they do. I propose the largest income tax cut of all 14 candidates in this race. I also am deeply conservative on environmental issues. Why? The most conservative way to reduce emissions is a federal carbon tax. It is the cheapest. It's the most economically efficient way to reduce emissions because it's based on free markets and smaller government. These are deeply conservative positions. But you're not afraid of Muslims and refugees. No. I mean, that's one of the perverse things about our leadership race. I believe in including everybody. I don't care what your race, religion, or creed is. Yeah. You're Canadian. And, and so I believe in being inclusive. And I don't think that makes me a liberal. I think that makes me a Canadian. Yeah, I just don't know if it's going to play, man. Like, like, what are you going to do with these nuts? I mean, you can't, a vote is a vote. And these people are, are standing up and they're getting politically enfranchised and they're, getting, they're showing up at these rallies. Like, I don't think they represent the vast majority of members of the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm confident in saying that. Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if the Breitbart nuts represented the majority of Republicans, but they, they, they represented enough, I guess. But Canada's different than the United States. It's very different. And our... The way in which our leadership race is conducted is very different. The way our general elections work is very different. And our population is very different. Yeah, yeah. 40% of this country today is foreign-born or born to one of two foreign-born parents. You don't see those numbers in the United States. I hear you, but I, you know, it all makes sense. It's reasonable, all these points of distinction. But then I flash back to people very logically explaining to me, you know, Hillary's blue wall is like this and this is how the electoral college works. And don't worry, it's all with the ground game is, you know, uh, if, if a populist force is powerful enough. I just have never seen Canada write its own story in opposition to a very, very big American story. Like if you're making a candy, you make Smarties after M&Ms. You know, you just, you piggyback that campaign. You don't go and make something else entirely. Like it's what's worked in this country all the time. And I'm just watching it work. So I don't know, this isn't even a question. I'm just, I'm just watching this play out and I'm just thinking, yeah, it makes sense to me. Your point about polls notwithstanding, we saw what polls were worth in the States, but you're towards the bottom of the polls. It does not look like you're going to win right now. Well, okay. So first off, there are no doubt populist uh, a populist uprising here in Canada, like there is in the United States and in Europe. But we, it shouldn't be a foregone conclusion that those who are playing to the dark side of that populist uprising are going to win. Secondly, on the polls, the polls don't mean anything. The polls are highly inaccurate on the actual leadership race. They are not weighted by riding, and in most cases, they don't have an accurate group of party members to poll. But they, they influence perception, they influence the media, and the media well, look, responds. The, here's an incontrovertible proof point. How much money have you raised? And to this point, we have raised the third most amount of money of all the leadership campaigns. So we are in the race, and we have a path to victory. 
Michael, Stephen Blaney was right. You are a model of integration. What the hell was he talking about? You're a model of integration? I think he meant it in the best way, but like know, as it was opposed an unfortunate to other... choose, uh, choice of words. You know, somebody tweeted out, I thought it was quite funny. He said, um, Michael Chong was born in Windsor, Ontario. So was Paul Martin. Paul Martin was is a model of integration too. <laughs> I think the real interesting comparison is not uh, you w- compared to other guys from Farmville. It, it, it's it's like who is the 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 non model of integration? Who is the who is the Chinese guy or half Chinese guy who Stephen Blaney is comparing you favor- favorably against? I, I I don't know how you're gonna get a message heard. Like there, there's the fact that that kind of shit is is still acceptable and gets out there by somebody running for the leadership. But there's a lot of people who want to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I think the vast majority of conservatives don't. And I think the proof's in the pudding. I don't think uh, Kelly Leach's or Stephen Blaney's campaigns are gaining any momentum or traction. You just need a really weird video. (laughs) We try not to produce weird videos. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send me. I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. And our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This week, The Imposter drops on Wednesday. Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. Russell Gregg produces this show and makes it available for syndication to campus and community radio stations across this country. If you like what we do, please support us. Mm-hmm.